Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Thanks, Em. Yes, a long reading. A long reading, but a, a fantastic reading, isn't it? I love this passage of Scripture. It's not just an account of, uh, of Jesus overcoming so many different types of barriers, racial, social, geographical barriers, to meet with a needy and a forsaken woman. But this is really an account of my life and an account of your life and the way that God wants to reach deep into our heart to meet the needs of every human being. A God who reaches out to all, a God who accepts us as we are, loves us as we are, and yet has so much more planned for us as we walk in his way. A God of mercy, a God of grace, who God, a God who wants to satisfy the deep longings of our heart, a God who wants to give us soul satisfaction. Uh, Lyndon last week spoke about the Great Commission, and it was great. Lynn and I were away last week, but we tuned in and, uh, and saw that great message, the Great Commission. Congratulations, uh, Lyndon and Barbara. Uh, 50 years married. Well, I'm still waiting for my 50th birthday to roll around yet. When I recover from my delusional state, I'll, um, I'll continue. Mitch, next week is going to start a series on the Great Commission. Uh, four weeks as we enter May Mission Month. So I thought, what do we do in between these weeks? What better place to come back to than to look at the way Jesus engaged in his mission? Jesus, to look at the way he worked with people, broke down barriers to overcome so many different divides. And so as we go through this passage, I want us to ask a few questions. Firstly, why did Jesus go where he did? Uh, verse 4 simply tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So what was Samaria? Well, Samaria was a, a territory that was occupied by the Samaritans. The Samaritans were Jewish descendants um, who had intermarried uh, with Assyrians as the Sir Syrians had come through and conquered Israel from time to time. And they still, these uh, Samaritan people still believed in the God of Abraham. But they had changed the way they'd worshipped. They changed some different practices, so much so that the Jews detested them. They saw them as people who had wandered away from the faith. They saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as heretics. And they didn't want anything to do with them. And so when most people walked from Judea, as Jesus did, right up to Galilee in the north, they would usually, instead of going through Samaria, they would cross over the Jordan River and go up the east side of the Jordan River through what is now the Kingdom of Jordan until they were well past Samaria and cross back over the river and then come into Galilee. And that was the way people used to walk. It made a trip of 100 kilometres into 160 kilometres, but hey, what's another 60 kilometres on foot if you don't have to go through Samaria? If you don't have to rub shoulders with these people who we just detest. And that's why the passage so, so clearly said the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. So when this passage said that Jesus had to go through Samaria, Jesus didn't have to go through the Samaria um, if, you, if he followed the route that most people followed 
But Jesus had to go through Samaria because that's where his mission lay. He had a burden on his heart to cross through these boundaries, to meet people where they were, to break down these divides and to give all people a living relationship with his Father. Jesus met people on their own turf. He showed us a model of mission. This has been said before, um, fishermen go where the fish are. Um, That's how they catch fish. Now, I'm not a fishing expert. I don't proclaim to be that. Anytime I've gone fishing, I've come away pretty scarce in terms of fishing. But fishing in your bathtub may be very convenient, but it's not going to be highly productive. Jesus modelled a way of going where the fish were. If we look at the accounts in the Gospels, there are 132 different occasions when Jesus encountered and talked to people. Of those 132 occasions, six were in the temple, four in the synagogues, and the other 92% were just out in the community with people. So Jesus met people where they were. And that's why, as a church, we operate a sports centre. That's why, as a church, we're involved with business's mission, whether that's our sports centre or cafe or inflatable world that's even operating now. It's hands and feet tomorrow, our men's shed during the week, our youth ministry or our playtime or the new travel extravaganza that goes on once a month. And I think, Ange, you're off to Netherlands tomorrow, aren't you? Something like that. So you can come and uh, mix with others that will come from all around the community and encounter people as they are, where they are, the way Jesus did. That's why we operate these things as collectively as a church. But it's also a call for us to cross the boundaries with people, to befriend people and to seek to communicate the Christian message each and every day of our week. Lyndon last week in his message um, said that one of the ways that he's been doing that is to pray at the start of each day, Lord, I'm open to be used by you. Guide me in my conversations. Guide my meetings. Use me today to be a bridge so that people might see you. So there's a question for us here. And the question would be, Even now, who is God laying on my heart? Is there someone that I've been avoiding, perhaps, that God has really given me a burden? I should be speaking to them, breaking down that barrier and speaking to them about Jesus. Why speak to the Samaritan woman would be the next question. After all, speaking to any Samaritan was not what a Jew would normally do. When Jesus returned... Uh, When Jesus' disciples returned uh, with their food, they found Jesus chatting with this Samaritan woman and that broke every Jewish convention. Firstly, she was a Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman. And the third thing was she was a woman um, with a shady past, so to speak. Sure, she had been had five husbands. That probably wasn't her, her issue, really, in many ways. In those days, women were not valued at all. She would have been simply divorced by each one husband after another. But as far as this lady was was concerned, people saw her as the lowest of the low. That's why she came to the well in the middle of the day when there was no one else that was going to be there. And with her reputation, no respectable Jewish man would have been talking to her. Um, One of the rabbis of those times said he would rather burn the law than entrust it 
to a woman. And Jesus broke that barrier down. Jesus was one who wanted to liberate women, as we do today, that we might be able to journey with each person being viewed in equally in the eyes of God. So this is the historical setting into which uh, Jesus made his move. And his mere association with this lady um, would have crossed every geographical, religious, social and racial barrier. So I need to ask myself, Brian, how do you value people? Not just how do I say I value people, but how do I value them? What does the way I speak about people say about the way I value them, both when I'm with them and talking face to face or the way I talk to them in their absence? Do I truly value people the way Jesus values them? I remember coming back from one of our outback mission trips. We'd been out into remote communities and I was talking to someone who knew that we were going and asked how we went. And when I got back, um, this lady... Um, said, well, tell me, Brian, is there really any hope for these people? Is there really any hope for these people? As though the people we visited were all one homogenous group that were all the same and that, by inference, were all without hope. And that's what racism does. It has its classifying people according to a scale that we've got as to whether they are acceptable, whether they've made it, where they are in the social order or in the racial order or whatever. It's something that just is human nature and Jesus wants to break that down. He wants that broken down in our own lives. And I muttered something like, well, you know what? Whatever the colour of our skin, we all have a need to be loved and to love. And I believe that deep down that we've got a yearning to make peace with God our creator. But then that comment by this racist neighbour, in a way, had me thinking, how do I really classify people? I say I'm very accepting. I'm very accepting of people from all different backgrounds. But... I'm still inclined to think of my Solomon brothers and sisters. Ah, you know what? That's just Solomon way. They'll always be late to a meeting. They'll be everything will be in Solomon time. It's this, it's that, it's the other. And I can so easily classify people in that way. I need to settle back and not so quickly judge people based on what their background might be. God wants to do a work, continue to do a work in my life. And I know he does in yours. So a question for us now, is there a cultural or a racial or a social divide that God is calling you to step through? Our Kairos fellows do that every time they go into the prison to speak hope into fellows that many people in our society would classify with a certain point of view. Next question. Why the confusion over water? A lot of confusion over water, isn't there, in this uh, passage? Uh, Jesus said, and I believe today that there is still a lot of confusion 
over water and what it means to really be following Jesus, to take hold of this living water. Jesus said to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the conversation from Jesus' point of view starts to talk um, to turn from being about the physical to the spiritual. So he starts to describe living water and even by verse 15, this lady is completely confused. She's thinking, gee, it'd be nice not to have to come and draw water at this well anymore. It'd be great to have somehow this, this satisfying water that's going to bubble up within me. I wouldn't have to come and do that in the middle of the, of the day when no one else is here and this would be a wonderful, wonderful thing to experience. I'd be never thirsty again. I would never have to draw water, she's thinking. I reckon in our day there are still people that are totally confused about what it means to follow Jesus. Totally confused about how you can take hold of living water. So many are confused about grace, about the fact that we don't have to work hard to merit God's favour, to take hold of eternal life, life that is really life. I've had conversations with many people at different times that have said I could never become a Christian because I just don't have time to go to church. And one fellow saying, you know, I work hard to make a living. Sounds like um, I'm a working class man. I work hard to make a living and by the time I get to the end of the week, I just want to spend time with the family. I want to go away for the weekend. I want to go out and do stuff together. And I just don't have time to become a Christian because he was equating becoming a Christian with actually church attendance and a whole lot of other things that he would have thought were going to merit his salvation and somehow make him acceptable to God. So there are people that are confused about how to take hold of this living water. They, they look at the things they need to do, but then... They might be thinking about the things they have to give up. It was Tony Campolo that famously said that sometimes um, people think it's things that Christians shouldn't be doing that makes them a Christian. Tony Campolo said, you know, they shouldn't be dancing. I shouldn't dance, drink, eat or chew or go with those that do. You know, and that's what makes you a Christian. The things that you don't do. Totally confused uh, people are. Jesus simply wants to invite people to come into a relationship with him. To put all this striving about what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing aside and take hold of Jesus' words of life. Jesus simply says, forget all this other stuff. I've come to free you from that. It's any wonder that Jesus, a couple of um, chapters later in John chapter 7, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, he stood and with a loud voice he said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said. What a great joy it was to see this Samaritan woman take hold of that. And not only to take hold of that and to take new life, but to see the effect it had on her friends. So the question for us today is, how can I make the good news of Jesus less complicated for those 
in my family and friends who are not yet Christian. Or perhaps you're sitting here today as someone who says, you know, I really don't feel like I've got this life-giving water. I don't really have this soul satisfaction. There's still something around me that, that I've got this list of things I feel I've got to do to attain somehow God's favour. And if that's you today, I invite you to come down the back and just be prayed for later. We'll be able to pray with you and for you that you can take hold of life and the freedom that Jesus offers today. And the next question would be, what's the relevance of the Samaritan woman for us today? Well, this woman represents the mission field. And are we, are you and I, concerned about this mission field, this, this group of people, millions and millions of people in our own country that still haven't taken hold of life in Jesus Christ? So the disciples came back and they offered Jesus food. When they come back from town and Jesus said, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Right now, in our world, there are people that are searching for significance, searching for soul satisfaction. And it is possible to be a Christian and to not care about that in the way we should. The disciples were evidence of that. They didn't, when they came back, the, the scriptures tell us they didn't even ask Jesus why he'd broken all this, you know, this, um, uh, the, the uh, contraventions and talked with this Samaritan woman. No one asked him a question. All they were interested in was, hey, Jesus, we've got some food. Do you want to get stuck into it? And so often, I think we can be, and I know I can be, taken up with what I'm doing in life rather than pushing on to recognise that here's a missionary field right on my doorstep with this person I'm speaking to right now today. Jesus just pushed through these boundaries. When he looked at the woman, he didn't see her as a different race or whatever. He saw her as someone made in the image of God. And the amazing thing is, it was to this lady, that Jesus first revealed himself as the Messiah. The only time we read in the whole scripture that Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah until he stood on trial in Jerusalem. And this lady took hold of the living water, went around to say, come see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. How fantastic. And because of that, people came out. And then they believed, not just because of the woman's testimony, because Jesus stayed a few more days and unpacked what it really meant to take hold of salvation. So I want to ask us a question. Where am I in this encounter? Where am I in this encounter? Am I like the Samaritan woman or the disciples? Or am I like Jesus? What do I mean by that? Am I like this Samaritan woman and I really are confused by this whole business about taking hold of life and soul satisfaction? Do I really need to be filled with the Spirit of God today? I'd encourage you, if that's the case, to come down to the back, even as the music is playing and we sing our songs, to come down and to be prayed for today. 
Or am I one of the, like the disciples who are thinking, well, you know what? I'd rather get on with eating and drinking and whatever else there is to do in life. Someone else can go and to take the gospel to those people that desperately need it. Or am I thinking, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. And you know what? God is using me at different times to impact people's lives. Lord, I pray that you would keep me focused on that, never to waver and to keep, keep giving me the thrill of seeing people come into a relationship with you. Just as the, uh, the band come up now, there's a final word of encouragement that I want to bring and it's, um, and it's particularly for those that have been praying for their non-Christian family and friends um, for a, a long period of time. In my Bible reading, um, I've been going through parts of the Old Testament and um, was in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7 and there's, I'm not going to preach another sermon about 2 Kings 6 and 7, you'll be pleased to know. Um, just this passage about the famine in Samaria and, uh, and then the siege in Samaria and then how liberation and, um, and the whole thing was lifted as the prophet Elisha spoke about the fact that God was going to bring um, change. And he used these four lepers that were outside the camp to go and to come back with good news. And what came to me as I, as I was reading that, and it's kept on coming back over these, um, these past weeks, and that's usually a sign it's something I've got to take hold of, and it may be for you today too. And that is to keep at it, to keep praying, and to be persistent in prayer, but to stay expectant and to not miss the blessing. There was a bloke there that said, I can't see how that's possibly going to happen, and he didn't see that blessing. He was trampled to death as people were going in to find the food in the city. Go home and read this passage, 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7, and be encouraged to keep praying for your non-Christian friends, to be expectant, and to know that God will bring blessing. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to praise you and thank you. Lord, for just the way we see you minister to people who desperately need it. And firstly, Lord, I want to pray for those that might be sitting here today who need your touch upon them. Those who need to know the hope that you offer. And Father, I pray that you would just flood their very beings, even now, with a sense of your truth and your peace. But Father, you would pour your spirit down in this place, even now. And Father, for those of us that have been walking with you, there might be some that feel a little bit tired and so preoccupied with life going on. Lord, keep us mindful of those that we encounter day by day and use us in those meetings and conversations that we have each and every day. And Lord, then for those that have been praying faithfully for members of family and friends for a long period of time, Father, we ask that you would help us to be um, persistent in our prayers and expectant about what you're going to do, that, Father, we might rejoice in the blessing that you will bring as we see them come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.